This podcast is brought to you by Media8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Good evening, guys. How are you? Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel. Uh, I have my amazing guest here, Scott McLaughlin. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Kel. Thanks for having me. No worries. So Scotty and I have been chatting all this week um, and we've had some massive conversations. So uh, I, I've got a bit of ADHD brain and so I don't like to sit still for too long. So <laughs> we, we had nearly a two-hour conversation the other day about some very big topics. So uh, I'm sure we're going to have an incredible evening um having some big conversations tonight so um scotty is a business strategist he's a data expert and does some really crazy things behind the scenes um but we are very excited to have him with us tonight so um scotty from the beginning um if i could um tell us a little bit about how you grew up well um my dad was a uh, was a baseball player and athlete, and, and I kind of um, I think I had my first game of t-ball when I was three, so I was always down in the ballpark. Um, I was super, super. Um, I was I was really I spoke to my mother about this quite a lot lately. Um, I was really enamoured with like toys, like you know puzzles, right? yeah, <laughs> like yeah, this. Yeah. I don't think they'd sell these today because you probably jab your fingers, but yeah, it's um, and and I was always according to mum, like really um, besotted with educational toys and trying to figure things out and stuff like that. So, but beyond that, yeah, it was all about baseball. It was all about sport. It was all about, you know, how much I could participate and, and be like my dad really. So. Yeah. It's, it sounds like from what I, what I'm learning about you, which is uh, an enigma in itself um, is, is your complex thinking, which I just cannot fathom. So you probably should <laughs> just wait till Scott tells you what he does later. Oh my god! Um, yeah, so very exciting. But um, yeah, so you started off obviously with humble roots. It sounds like and a and a heart to play sport. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, so Bruce Vegas. Um, yeah. Okay. Bruce Vegas, all about baseball. Um, it was such a beautiful community. Um, you know, at Windsor's there in um, in Brisbane and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just have so many fondies of, of running around with my little uniform on and trying to be like the big guy, you know. Um, yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, we spoke uh, this week about your experience, um, which obviously very difficult. Um, but well, firstly, why don't you tell us a little bit about that if you can, and then um, we'll go back to the question I just wanted to ask you. So. <laughs> What do you mean, my experience? My experience in terms of yeah, CSA so, or yeah, yeah, correct, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, yeah, I was twelve years of age. Um, we had a babysitter um, come and stay, and my I, I recall my sister being rushed off early ish to bed, and um, then this woman, um, girl, eighteen or so. Um, 
took advantage of me and I remember being feeling like I was pinned down on the ground and um, I was kind of fight or flight like I just yeah I froze I froze and Mm. you know I uh, was very perplexed about that from there on in to be honest so yeah yeah so obviously um, at that point in time you didn't really sort of know what was happening you're only 12. No, not really. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, and a few days later, I remember speaking to my dad about it. And I don't even know how I described it, to be fair. I mean, it was 1983 in Brisbane. So we we're kind of a bit rough and tumble, right? So yeah, um, maybe I described it like I it was a conquest or something. I, I don't know. But um, <clears throat> my dad's a particularly lovely man. And um and he kind of took it like I, I, I had a win. And he said to me, good on you, buddy. Did you wear a condom? And I was like, uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, from there on in, it was kind of confusing, right? So for the next 30 years, yeah, for the next 30 years, I thought I'd done something good. Yeah, right. And so I guess, did you ever have a conversation with your dad again after that? Only last year. Yeah, right. Only last year, and it was it was pretty emotional. It was pretty full on. Um, he didn't really understand, you know, why I was upset about his response. But um, and, and he kind of, to be fair, he he kind of said, "Well, mate, you know, come on, shit happens. Like, let's get over it." That's kind fun. of thing, and. And about four days later, I had a I had a fit actually, so I had like a non-epileptic fit. So they call it psychosomatic. Um, I was just so overwhelmed with emotion, right? Yeah, right. <clears throat> but um, but I can't reiterate enough how how much of a good man my dad is. Um, yeah. But he didn't know what to do at the time, I guess. So. And that's the thing. I think we've changed a lot. The world has changed a lot. Um, it's still got a long way to go uh, about these conversations, but I fully acknowledge your courage and sharing that. So thank you for doing that, Scotty. Yeah, cool. Um, like I said, I mean, I, don't, I just, I imagine being in his shoes going, what the, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And going, oh, what do I do with this? Oh, my God. So yeah, you, yeah. did you talk to anyone else about it at the time? Besides your dad? No, no, I never told my mum. I never, in fact, I told my mum um, last year for the first time. And that was, that was really emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I kept it to myself for 30 odd years. Yeah. yeah. What was your reasoning behind not talking to your mum about it back then? I mean, you told your dad. No, it was sexual, you know, it was sexual. So I didn't want to talk to my mum about sexual things, you know, I guess, yeah. Um, you know, she was my mum. Like, so, yeah, I, I just, that was, that felt like a barrier I couldn't cross, right? Yeah. I guess I asked that, I mean, I kind of knew the answer, but I wanted to ask because there's a lot of people that, you know, don't have anyone to talk to. And it's really hard to identify, I think, for a lot of men, what some of those barriers are. So, um you know, it's, I, I fully acknowledge how difficult it is for men to, I would say, come out of the closet, that's not the right word, but to share their experiences because, you know, there's such a bloody stigma about frigging trying to be so tough about everything, you know? 
true, true. And, and like I said to you last Friday, like um, such a confusing time because, you know, at 12 years of age and then fast forward two years, I'm playing sport with men in Brisbane yeah. and I'm 14 years of age and I'm in amongst like a totally different cultural set, like a, like a mind-blowing, like... <laughs> catapult into adulthood right and mm. and so those two years be- before just kind of got left behind a little bit and um i was pushed on um and, and i was pretty aggressive and i was pretty you know um pretty vocal for a, for a young fella um but yeah i felt like i had to fight and that's what i did and yeah yeah, it was only two years beyond that incident, which is really quite, you know, when your innocence is, like, taken from you and then all of a sudden you've got to be a man. Um, yeah, man, that's, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's bizarre. It was tough. I think I understand. I mean, not from the perspective, obviously, because I'm not a man, but, like, I, I guess what I relate that to is the fact that when a child is had had that experience so early, like, the innocence of that experience is gone completely and you just see things through completely different eyes. Like for me, like I know I questioned, like, is this person, my uncle, God, I mean, your, your person was not a familial abuse, obviously, but obviously someone known to you that you trusted, you know, and, yep. you know, my uncle, I think one of the journalists from one of the magazines was the first person asked me and I just was like, oh, my God. But he's like, did you feel like that? he was like your boyfriend did is that what it felt like to you and i was like yeah oh, I'm right. saying that, yeah, yeah. I, I, i'm not supposed to have a boyfriend when i'm like eight <laughs> you know like yeah. it doesn't make sense but in my mind you know i was forced to have to think like an adult and you know we we forget as children that we don't have the capacity to make adult decisions like we're just trying to make adult decisions with our child brains yeah yeah, you know? and it's funny, like, um, when I think about that incident, I I was sort of grateful that my sister was put to bed and she wasn't involved. And oh, I don't know, it, it's bizarre, isn't it? But I, I just thought it was so cool that, you know, like, she, she wasn't involved at all and she wasn't exposed to anything Yeah, because um, she's my little sister. So, but, yeah, for me... Um, Look, it's 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 deeply impacted my life um, on so many facets, particularly with regard to relationships and trust. And um, well, man, it's it's yeah, it's been really hard. So, what are some, what are some of those things? Because I, obviously, like unhealed childhood trauma leads to adult trauma. Basically, that's how I look at it. If we don't deal with this stuff early on, it leads to some really poor patterns of behaviour as we move forward and I can I have I've made lots of mistakes out of my own trauma and not doing the right thing by my for myself yeah so I definitely I definitely say trust in relationships has been like interestingly like I I chose earlier in my life to have really safe relationships like people that were at very small social circles people that didn't really yeah I don't know they were there were there were very small odds of being a threat to me. Yeah, um, yeah. But those people bored the shit out of me. But nonetheless, they they were safe, right? Um, yeah. And then it wasn't until my forties that I actually went. Here's someone who's intelligent, charismatic, educated, 
blah, blah, blah. I want to be with her. And I flat out couldn't deal with it. I flat out couldn't deal with the, the, the risk, um, the potential hurt, um, the fact that she could, yeah, she could break my heart. And I, I was, I went stir crazy. And that's when I went into therapy and started talking about what happened to me. Well, at least you recognize it. In my early 40s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, lay, I remember laying in bed with her going, there's something wrong with me. There's something not right. Something's not right. Yeah. How did you, how did you figure that out though? What was it that made you think that? What was the turning point? Um, I, I feel like, I could see the lack of logic in my lack of trust. I could see the, like, I could see that it was, it was beyond, it was past crazy, if that makes sense. So I could see that it was like taking control of me. Yeah. And that I wasn't being rational. Yeah. I was going to say completely and, irrational. I, I, I know yeah. the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Completely irrational, right? Yeah. And I could see that. I could see that it was like, like taking me away, right? And, and I was like, shit, you know, I don't have a handle on this. Mm. yeah i i totally i think we talked a little bit about it in our conversation earlier but like it's that whole like you get to this point where you're actually doing really well but really well feels really scary right so it's not safe mm. anymore to actually like do something really um brilliant or you know successful or be successful or have a great relationship with somebody all of a sudden we're doing shit to sabotage it because we don't feel like we honestly deserve those things like it's it's totally oh wow um, yeah yeah it's, That's it's so true that is so true um <laughs> we persecute ourselves because we don't believe within ourselves that we deserve that full love and and completeness and you know to have these healthy relationships because it's so used to chaotic bullshit right and yeah, so we create true. chaos really because that's what feels safe and i know that sounds kind of fucking around the wrong way but that's what it is for most people. We live in this hypervigilant state all the time, you know, question everybody's oh, yeah. motives. Like, oh, yeah. You're like strung up all the time. It's any wonder I got bloody crow's feet. It's, you know, I, I remember being in a strategy meeting with a guy a couple of years ago and he's like, um, I do strategy like incompleteness, right? I am incredibly vigilant about all aspects of strategy. And I did this session with this guy and he's like, how the fuck did you do that? And I went, oh, I reckon, you know, I reckon it's probably, you know, just childhood <laughs> childhood abuse, really. I think that's probably what it is, really. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's probably what it is. Yeah, it's probably what it is. <laughs> I, I totally agree because do you know that um, I, I say this all the time, people like trauma can rob workplaces of people's abilities, right? But I really believe mm. if, if workplaces understand people's trauma, they can actually use their skills to help their business so much more because people who've experienced trauma are like the most hypervigilant, risk-averse people that you could possibly meet, right? You know what all the things mm. that could go wrong are. Mm. You make sure that you know every, like, bad thing that's going to happen. <laughs> you can, like, you know who the wrong people are yeah, that are walking around into a room. You, you can tell just from body language when something bad's going to go up. So they're the mediators, they're the... You know, like I always have to sit in the, in the corner of the room and make sure I can see everybody walking in. You know, like we're the most risk averse um, strategic thinkers because, like, if this happens, then we're going to do this. And if this happens, well, I'm going to make sure that this. Absolutely. Is, you know, like, 
So anyone who's out there has got to, <laughs> you can turn your pain into something really powerful. <laughs> I can tell you. Well, right. yeah. I mean, childhood trauma is a, you know, it's a, it's a superpower in, in some ways. Like, like, um, so, you know, my approach to strategy is uh, thankfully to my Mr. Miyagi, Dr. Colin Benjamin, I have learned, um, models about strategy and about how to think about how we think and what are the so shapes you're hiding in there i mean come on i, I know it's like, it's like it's quite funny i said to a friend of mine the other day i haven't come that far but um, um but, but yeah i mean we think about completeness and about getting every possible aspect of what might happen right and which is why i do what i do with data because you know it's about what we see and what we don't see and it's about that hypervigilance that actually creates that modeling capability to find the unfindable. Um, and all that's birthed by trauma. All of that is birthed by trauma. Um, I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I can see that. And you've done some of the stuff that I've been learning about what you do is just incredible. So it, I, I say congratulations for turning something terrible into something tangible that can be used by people for something really powerful so yeah thank you yeah it's it's kind of cool like we're um you know we're, we're forecasting you know food uh food relief requirements around the country for us harvest second bite um and food bank and you know it feels good it feels good to to um use incredibly sophisticated modeling sophisticated modeling to you know, to help people in need. So, and now turning that into, you know, CSE work. Um, wow, that's really exciting for me, as you can imagine. Like, I'm just yeah, like, yeah. whoa, yeah. super pumped about that. Well, while, while we're talking about it, might, might as well tell our listeners a little bit about what you do with that while we're on the topic. Well, okay. So I'm going to share an opinion. Um and my opinion is that um, we are better off educating children to avoid and avert situations where they might fall into CSE than we are in trying to capture pedophiles. Um, why do I say that? Because it, it's the fastest growing crime in the world. And if we can educate our kids, we can, we can stop supply um, and stop worrying about demand, right? So that's my first belief. Secondly, um, we can see the kinds of kids that are more likely to fall into that situation. Um, it'll be socioeconomic. It'll be family family constructs. It'll be you know household constructs. It'll be a whole range of things that will reliably predict that they are more likely to be at risk. Right? Yeah. Um, and working with the Queensland Police, we're, we're, we're trying to get to that, that point where we can actually isolate that and, and get into geographies where we can educate children who are most at risk, right? Um, on the flip side of that, yeah, the behaviours, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear. Um, and using an awful lot of data, we can, we can isolate. Not only do we believe we can isolate pedophiles, but we can isolate pedophiles in situ. So we believe that as their anxiety grows, um, through the process, so to speak, um, we'll be able to anticipate that based on their consumer behaviour. So, super exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit out <laughs> there. What? <laughs> it's a bit out there. But, yeah, yeah but it's I mean, very we, cool. We, we do, because if they're in situ with a child, um, 
we know from case studies that their, their anxiety will go up. So if we, you know, say for instance, that the person's a cigarette smoker, they'll, you know, they'll probably be, the frequency of their purchasing will increase. And we'll go, oh, Frank's in situ. <laughs> Um, which brings us closer to an arrest, right? So that's what we're really, that's what we're really working for. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, we've obviously done a lot with um, your work and, and your story. And I just, I, to me, like, I, I've never felt better than when I'm, like, fully giving myself to my, my vision. And that's obviously to do stuff like this, to break open these conversations and to really bring this into the light. And, um, you know, I, I just think, I, I feel like that's my calling, right? I don't have a choice about it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get it. No, I get it. And I think, you know, I feel the same way. I mean, as much as uh, a mate of mine who's a detective in Brisbane has always said to me, he goes, you're just a one-hit wonder, Scotty. Um, <laughs> I, and it's true. I am. Um, you know, I wasn't groomed. I wasn't groomed over a series of years or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, I have... I have an experience and I know what it's like to be vulnerable and I know what it's like to be taken advantage of. And, um, and hell, my, my daughter's 13, right? So, so it's like the last 12 months I've noticed in me that the triggering for me has been like really full on. Where is she? What's she doing? <laughs> like yeah, it's been right. really full on because, Hey, that was, that was my time. Right. Yeah. Um, and God, you know, my, my, my plight is to make sure she's safe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be because I, um, well, my partner and I, my 13-year-old stepdaughter, and she's the most lovely-looking thing, and I swear to God, I'm like, anything ever happened to her, I'll be like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's tough, and I know a lot of parents, you know, don't know what to do. There's so much social media out there there's so much like drawing the attention of the children and um you know it's very hard to stay on top of everything all the time like trying to protect your kids is a full-time job well yeah and, and you know you get to a point um just talking to some of the guys from argos about uh, bark.us if you've seen that before have you seen that Kel? i'll have to write that down <laughs> it's, it's a really cool yeah it's a really cool app it came out of the u.s and if you put it on your kid's mobile, it will detect whether there's bullying, sexting, anything, you know, kind of problematic, right? Um, but my kid's too old. Yeah, right. So she's 13. I'm like, oh, do you mind if I put an app on your phone? She's like, no. Nah. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's kind of, so I had to tell her a story about the guys from Argos to to try to throw a flare in the air for her, really. Yeah. Um, um, just to try to, you know, do whatever I can to make sure she stays safe, right? Yeah. Well, you can only do what you can do, so. Um, yeah. I think right. I told you. Didn't I tell you that story? Like, yeah, Daddy you... was in a really interesting workshop the other day. <laughs> These police officers impersonate children. Really, Dad? Why? <laughs> well, you see, there's other people out there that do that. And, you know, they're not so nice. Um, so these guys do it to catch the bad guys. Oh, my God, Dad, that's full on. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I just leave yeah. it at that, right? What else do you do? Right? Uh, I think, and and I was asking um, Violet, she's she's 13, she's, um, I said, what, what, do we, what do you need? What do you need to know to be able to, like, learn, like, you know, because there's all these programs and stuff for the kids. And she's like, I'm not doing that, you know. And I'm like, well, what do you need? She's like, we need stories. We need 
to know stories. Mm -hmm. We need to know why it matters. And I was just like, yeah, okay. So, you know, none of this like animated stuff and, you know, it's like join the dots and, you know, they don't care about that. It's been, you know, done and dusted. They want real stuff. And I think that's what we need to be doing is telling them the truth. And I said, even when I spoke to my mom, I interviewed my mom last week and, you know, uh, I think a little bit um, like your story, like when I disclosed to mom, she was, that was the first time she disclosed to me. Had I known her story, had I known her story, it would have made me feel a lot more comfortable to come forward right would have made me feel like I wasn't alone and you know I think our kids need to know the stories that relate to them that matter to them in order for them to take it more seriously oh listen Kel um as you know as you well know um the impact on my life from that one incident is enormous right yeah um my inability to have relationships of substance has broken my heart and I need it to mean something. Yeah. I need it to mean something. I want it, I want it to mean something and I want to do something with that, right? Because that's kept me from happiness really. Um, so it's so important to me to do something good with this, right? You doing it now, Scotty? I'm trying to. I'm trying. <laughs> doing it right now, brother. You know, and and as I said, we just we all all need to be sticking together. Like we need community. We need people that see us. Uh, and it's unconditional, right? We just get it. And there's no rules. There's no. You know, there's just unconscious understanding of of your experience. Sure. So, yeah. Um, like we need people that see us regardless. Yeah, and um, whew, again, it's got to mean something, right? It does. It does. And you, you're doing it. You're doing it in your work, and you're doing it. You know, like by trying to protect your children. You're doing it by having this conversation. I mean, this is not the first conversation we're going to have. It's not the no. first conversation. You know, Don't and. <laughs> hey look i did i promise you or threaten you to take part in this interview today <laughs> isn't that what the cops say <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um but yeah look you know um it is what you do with it i think is really important like a lot of people choose to do nothing and they sit on it and it festers like you know i, I go with the coke bottle analogy right like you can shake it up or whatever but if you leave that lid on it just gets like tighter and tighter and then just freaking explodes and goes everywhere right you kind of just have to like let that little bit of steam off like all the time and then you're not going to have this big issue in the end so you know you, you do yeah, have and, I, and, I, and i guess um you know i'm not saying it was different for you um but for me like oh. um i guess in the first instance the capture point was like i'd succeeded at something when i need to learn 30 years later that i really hadn't um and and then everything just like stacked up in place where I went, oh, that explains why I can't do this and why I'm no good at relating like this and I'm no good at, or I've chosen these people to be with or, you know, like everything just like 30 years after, unfortunately for me, mm. um, it wasn't earlier. And and I fear that for boys because, you know, I interviewed a hundred guys last year 
and I, I swear, like 30% of them have been sexually assaulted when they were kids. Mm. And it had just been brushed. You know, Uncle Frank raped me when I was six. Okay, how do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, well, you know, whatever. What do you do? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. well, because um, you, you said when your dad, when you talked to your dad, uh, he just kind of was like, good on you. So it was a bit, you said to me, it was a bit like a badge of honour for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I thought I'd lost my virginity at 12. Woohoo. Go yeah. man, right? Um, but as it turns out, the impact of that was, was much deeper and, um, yeah, much more impactful than I could ever imagine, to be honest. Um, and like I said, it was, it was probably confusing that I went from, you know, from that to sort of men's sport two years later because, like, culturally I had to sort of just shift into harden the fuck up kind of territory. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in a way that made me kick dust over it, it didn't make me go back there, so to speak. It just made me like kick dirt over it and go, yeah, okay, off we go. Yeah. Um, just and, uh, happenstance, right? But Yeah, I can imagine it would have been pretty difficult when you're amongst the men uh, in the culture and sport to kind of disclose anything like that. No, you can't. No, no way. No, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. They, they'd probably perpetuate the, the whole badge of honour side of it. Oh, because... God. The things I heard when I was 14 and 15 in <laughs> dressing rooms, like, wow. Yeah, really fast path, really fast track to, uh, I don't know, to what? Misogyny, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, it was just brutal. Yeah, absolutely brutal. Mm. So you you disclosed to your mum much later on in the piece. Last year, that. yeah. Yeah, that was right. So last year, and then what happened when you disclosed to her? Ah, uh, she was she was really sad, and she um, didn't understand why Dad didn't talk to her about it. But um, and I couldn't explain it to her. She's like, "Why wouldn't he tell me?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know, Mum." Um. But again, like, I really don't want to come off as like I'm pointing fingers at my dad for doing the wrong thing. I really don't. No. In 1983, man, in 1983, totally different setting, right? And and I was I was a 12 year old going on 20, right? So, um, for all intents and purposes, I, I understand why my dad would, you know, just go, oh, okay, maybe you're on that side of the ledger rather than this one, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was full on telling mum. She was full of regret and remorse, and I just I said to her, "Listen, just make this about me, yeah. Um, don't make this about dad. Don't make this about your anger. Don't make you know, make this about me, yeah." Um, and she did, and you know we talked about her experiences as a kid, and, and yeah. yeah, let's just say that your mum and my mum aren't that different. <laughs> Um, oh, bless. Yeah. Maybe we should have a podcast of the four of us on one day. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. So that was also basically you're saying uh, that was when your mother disclosed as well. Is that correct? Yeah, she said things happened to her when she was a kid. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about that. Without no, no, that's okay. I guess, I guess the point I want to make is that conversations are really fucking powerful. Like, you know, it gives other people permission to 
share their stories, you know, and I think that's what's really important, right? Do you know what's funny though? Like when mum said that to me, like I immediately went into panic about my kid. I immediately went into, oh, wow, it's hereditary. Oh, my God. Um, really? Yeah, totally. Like I just went into immediate panic about, oh, my God, this is, it's a thing. I had suspected about my mum, but I didn't know. Um, and then when she told me, I yeah, I immediately panicked about my daughter. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, the power of one, my friend, one incident and then how it's affected you and then, you know, one conversation and how important that is. I, I just think, um, you know, and, again, I, I have some major reflections from last week, uh, not last week, the last conversation I had with my mom about how long we stay silent for, you know, trying to protect the people that we love. And it's, it's uh, I, I think we miss out on so much freaking life um, by mm -hmm. holding on, holding on to these secrets, which we honestly believe are protecting people, but it's only protecting the perpetrator. It's oh, so funny to say that. Like, I, I have such a vivid memory of leaving my psychologist's office, and I called my very best mate, and I've been mates with him since we were ten. Um, so I'm fifty-two. It's a few years, um, and I called him and said, "Hey, Cutty, mate." Um, do you know how I lost my virginity when I was 12? And he goes, yeah. Well, so it turns out that that wasn't really my intention. And we both cried. We just both cried. Mm. And he said, I'm so sorry, mate. And I, yeah, I cried too. But yeah, it was huge. I'll never forget that moment. That's my very best mate. He was all, he was in there with you, mate. Like he's, yeah. You need you need people in your life like that, hey, that are gonna sit with you through your, the hard stuff, you know. And um I appreciate I appreciate how hard this is for you, Scott. Like you're doing a good job, I, I promise. Um trying, trying to keep up. <laughs> oh mate, you're doing a good job. You still look good, all right? You got you're nice and shiny over there. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, look, I'm like tan, Kel. <laughs> I'm Melbourne tan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, it's it does, and I, I just I guess I want to make a point here to anyone who's listening. It doesn't matter if it happens once, if it happens ten times, fifty times, you know, or you know, it's it's your stand. You can't measure trauma, right? You can't measure one incident against many incidents. It's all a betrayal of trust. It's all shame it's it all hurts it all fucking hurts right and i i really and, and not so much for survivors because i don't think survivors do it to each other too much but a lot of other people out there when they're trying to talk to survivors say well at least this didn't happen or oh well, it was just the one time well it's not just the one time and when you say that it actually undermines the survivor's experience so if you're supporting someone who's experiencing yeah, child abuse don't phrase it like that. Like, you know, be mindful of how you're talking to somebody because saying the word just in any sentence is undermining that person's experience. So just be mindful, be really mindful of how you phrase that because one or many, you know, and, and it comes down to, I think, our experiences too. Like, you know, we both grew up in sport. You and I are both very resilient people. You know, I grew up throwing hammers, jumping barbed wire fences and, <laughs> you know sprinting and soccer and athletics and you name it you know 
So I threw myself into my sport. So I was very resilient. But, you know, it's always the old Aussie tall poppy syndrome thing when to beat down the other person. And, you know, when it comes to this stuff, you kind of need to be lifting each other up. You really, really do. You know, like, let's put it in perspective, right? So um, I went to bed until I was 13. So this happened to me before I stopped doing that. Yeah. Let's put that in perspective, right? So, yeah, obviously I was anxious or whatever as a kid, but but put that in perspective. Like I had no adulting in me at all at that point. Right? Um, and yeah, it was only one time, but it ain't less meaningful because of it. Right? No, that's right. And I really want people to know that from our conversation um, because it, <clears throat> it does matter. And Again, our experiences determine how we cope too. If you don't have good people in your life, you don't have people to talk to or share your experiences with, or it makes it really hard to work out what strategies to put in place and how to deal with it, you know? So you've, you've yeah. left your healing like me until very late in the piece, but what... Yeah, that's something I'm really sad about, to be honest. Like, <clears throat> my, my life could have been really different. Hey, um, it could have been really different had I have attacked this earlier, right? Um, yeah, but it hasn't been. It's been really painful and really, all, really awkward for me, actually. Um, yeah. Particularly, particularly in trying to find love, it's been really, yeah, really difficult. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've only just found the right person for me, so it's taken me a long time to work it out as well. So oh, I just had a chat with her this afternoon. She said it's done. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well it's no, been no. It, it's hard because i mean and but i also did a lot of you know sabotage like you know you think i did what you were talking about before you know when yeah, things are getting really good i'm like oh this is a great relationship but do something stupid or i think something's wrong when something's actually not wrong at all and i'll sabotage that good thing and it's not just relationships but it's it might be jobs or um promotions or whatever it is in your life that you actually like getting good at you fuck it up for yourself because you don't think you deserve it right yeah. and so it just puts you back into this into this cycle so breaking this cycle of trauma is not just you know one step it's it's lots of little steps in lots of different areas of your life and it's constantly yeah, it being brave like all the time and pushing through that stuff so you know i i'm trying to get a healing course together for survivors so stay tuned for that but um you know it's going to be pretty epic okay. i'm there Okay. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, like, what what would you? Um, I guess you know, coming from the male side of things, um, what would you tell the other the men out there who are listening? Like, how would you encourage them? I'm really glad you raised that. Actually, um, you know, last year when I interviewed 100 guys in 100 days, um, boy oh boy, that was for me. It was it was pretty epic and like, I was pretty full on. Like there were times where I just finished a day and went, Oh my God, I need to go for a walk. I need to, you know, um, we have, I believe as men, like a glass floor where we, where we will not talk about things that really deeply hurt us. Um, where we will not talk about vulnerabilities and relationships, where we will not talk about, um, how we don't feel enough, with our partner or, or with, you know, um, 
and we have to work through that glass wall because so many times it was so easy for men to say to me, this thing happened to me that was brutal. And I'd be like, okay, that's shit. Um, how do you feel about that? All right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yep. no, you don't. No, you don't. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually working with a guy, Andrew, out of Canada, where we're trying to get some programs together to get guys to work through that glass wall because we just cannot we don't seem to be able to express um, those deeply traumatic and emotional experiences that we have as men yeah. because it's just kind of, it's not kosher. Yeah. Like you sit around and talk to guys at sport and stuff and go, you know, you know, it, it, it's, it's so unusual if a bloke said, you know, I, she really hurt me. Um, she made me feel like this. Shit doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> Just go, yeah, it's over with her. Don't know what happened there. <laughs> it's not true, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's not true. We have, you know, we are deeply emotional beings, like just like women, but we just can't get in and say it. And I'm so dedicated to making that happen for men because it's it's such a game changer, right? Um, we need to be able to jump into that and share. Do you think like do you think that people are afraid of men who are really vulnerable like that? Do you think it's a conversation that scares women, or do you think they would like it? Like, I mean, that's I, really I, funny, I, actually. Um, I, I know that's article. probably a weird question, but like, I, I mean, I've got a female partner, so you know, we talk about emotional stuff, so it's all right. Yeah, it's it's really funny to say that. So, two things. Um, firstly, my interviews with homosexual men were no different than straight men. Um, in terms of that barrier for sharing. Mm. Um, and secondly, like, um, there was an article about three years ago, um, why men don't have friends and women um, pay the price or pay the burden or whatever it was. Yeah, and I was right. like, what? What's that about? So that, that is literally about men opening up and women going, oh, that's a pain in the ass. Um, so, and for... for for guys, I think it's again. I've had so many conversations with blokes and and written a lot of articles about it. But yeah, we we want that feminine energy because we we're able to share emotionally. We don't we're not able to do that with our male friends. Yeah. Right. Um. And so when we're in partnership, that that's when we open up the most. Right. And so you know. Uh, but then to be called burdens because we're opening up too much <laughs> in relationship is kind of like, oh, okay, where do I go now? Because I don't actually have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah, um, interesting. Like I, I just, I, I noticed obviously because I, I work a lot with domestic violence and all that sort of stuff and the biggest issue is always a massive lack of communication. It's it's always totally. coming down yeah. to those conversations and that hard stuff and and not being able to talk about emotions honestly and safely like that safety thing doesn't exist and that's the big part you know it's like they don't feel safe to have the conversation for fear of you know how the person's going to respond or you know this is explosiveness that happens and um you're like you know i don't want to deal with that i don't want to deal with that explosion so they don't have the conversation yeah exactly yeah yeah so we we avoid it yeah exactly and it just causes pain for everybody because then you make up stories, right? You make up stories in the silence about what the other person's thinking or they hate me or they don't love me anymore or, 
you know, they don't want to be with me or they found somebody else with the cheating or, you know, there's this big friggin' like dialogue that happens in the background and you make up your mind about something that's not even true. Mm-hmm. Not even true, right? That's how. That's right. That's why you gotta have the, you gotta have these conversations. As soon as something pops up, you're like, "Oh, I'm not really sure what's going on there." Like, talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, and it's, it's it, it is look. There's a there's a long journey ahead for for males around this, in my view. Um, we we just need to practice. Yeah. Like, we need to practice having these conversations, right? Like, I can even with my best mate, like. God, 42 years of friendship and I could say, oh, blah, blah, it's broken my heart. I feel like, yeah, it's pretty shit, isn't it, mate? <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, okay, that conversation's over. Um, cool. Um, we're not going any deeper into that. That's that's fine. Okay. Um, we're just terrible at it. <laughs> you need to have like, oh, he's the emotional kind of guy. He's the guy that I go to for the straight answers and he's the guy that I want some hard love from. Like, you you have yeah. all your little friends in categories. <laughs> we are absolutely shit at it. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, right. huh. So, have you got any? And it leaves us feeling isolated and alone, right? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, at least anyone feeling yeah. isolated and alone if they can't talk to anyone about what's going on safely. Correct. Sorry. Correct. Yeah. Right. You were saying. Anything else you'd like to share with the men out there um, who've got a story, who um, might be thinking of disclosing, have never disclosed? Call me. Call me. Let's have a chat. Like, I get it. I know what it's about, yeah? Um, And God damn it, I want to make a difference. And it's tough being a dude when something's happened to you that that shouldn't have happened to you. Like, there's shame involved in that. I'm not saying it's any less for a woman, but but for blokes who feel like they should be able to protect themselves, um, victimology is so much harder emotionally. You just don't, yeah, you you don't even want to go there. So um, call me. Yeah. So so just quickly, Scotty, (laughs) on that, like what, on the victimology and and the difficultness difficultness like oh, look I can speak great English um, the difficulty thank you <laughs> for yeah. for men when they you know with, with that shame like what can you what insight can you give into that? Well, look, you know, um, what I can say is that I didn't openly share my trauma with anyone for a long, long time, thirty years, in fact. So. I know what it's like to hold on to it. I don't know mm. the damage that it does. And um, yeah, I, I know why it's so easy to keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, Scotty, we've got so much we can unpack over the next couple of months when we do this. Um, I'm sure we'll come back on and do some uh, deep dives, uh, particularly for men who want to jump on. Uh, we've just got a couple of questions. Um, so there's many survivors working in areas to reduce and prevent child sexual abuse. Do you think that you would have followed this career path if not for your personal experience? So that's for you. Uh, did I really follow this career path? I didn't, I didn't chase it. Um, I got asked to get involved and, um, you know, at the time, absolutely it felt meaningful to me, but also felt really, um, 
confronting for me at, at the same time. So uh, it wasn't like I was like, oh, yeah. It was like I was like, oh, maybe. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so definitely it's meaningful because of my own experience. Um, and definitely I want to make a difference because of my own experience. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hesitantly move forward into that space. Yeah, right. Um, I think too for me, like it wasn't a conscious thought really. It was just it was always in me that I had to do it. And then, mm-hmm. the, and then my ADHD popcorn brain just kept adding ideas to that. Now I'm completely overwhelmed. <laughs> Look, but, you know, right. uh, hey, if I can, if I can help, like mathematically or or <laughs> I can't add up, like, Scotty. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> so no, but I mean, I mean it. If I can help in any way, tangibly for anyone, um, I'd love to because it's caused such an enormous amount of pain in my life. Yeah. Um, I cannot understate that. It really has. Yeah, right. Well, you got it, guys. You've got two people here willing to help. So there you go. Um, there's a, two more questions there. So an, another one from uh, Mel is, did you or have you considered reporting your abuser? I did. And it's a really good question, actually. My mum asked me the same thing. Um, and my hypothesis was quite simply that she was 17, 18. And so I figured something had happened to her for that to happen. Mm. And so, you know, it had been such a long time past as well that I was just like, well, really? Um, she's had an experience that's, that's led her to this sort of space and um, there's no need for me to cause more harm really. Um, uh, maybe that sounds like I'm a bit of a martyr but um, I just didn't see the point. Yeah I think it's really hard because you have to feel right about making that decision to report for yourself it has to be right. Well, did I, I didn't feel like there was I didn't feel like there was enough for me you know right like what would I gain out of it? Yeah, and I didn't feel like I would gain anything out of it, right? Because three decades had gone by, yeah, and and so my first my first thought was, what happened to her? Yeah, but I, I think too, though, many um, victim survivors they want to protect they want to protect the people around them. It's very, it's just. A, I mean, I did too. Like, I know it sounds really stupid, but I wanted to protect my uncle. Like, I really haven't really talked about it. No, this. no, I get it. But like, there's someone. It's hard. There's a thing that happens with with survivors. It's called splitting, right? And you restore the good part of the person who you know mm-hmm. and you trust, and who's you know involved in your life and your family. And then the other part of you goes, I know that's bad, and that's my bad uncle or my bad friend or my bad brother or dad or whoever it is that's a bad dad but i still love them because of these reasons right so it's really hard and it's really fucking confusing for people to be sitting in this space as a child with someone who's completely betrayed you but someone that you completely love right and so it's really really confusing so when it comes to reporting it's really difficult and that's where a lot of the the silence and the shame comes from obviously as you know but how to break that, and, and you have to feel right in yourself, you know, but as a child, you cannot give consent. You absolutely cannot give consent. So, no, you know, it shouldn't right. be on the child. It should never be on the child to have to report. Mm. Never. Mm. So, you know, that's 
that's a that's a massive conversation for another time. But it, it definitely it's it's a difficult decision to make that report. I believe you should always tell someone. I think as as I even spoke to my mum about last week, telling someone is the first step to being able to get healing to get closure, and at sure. least you were able to have a conversation with your dad. Not the best conversation, but you someone knew about it in your circle. You know. Um, Probably and within a week of each other, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, but you you've got to be able to tell somebody, and and if you don't have anyone in your immediate family that you can trust, you've got to have somebody else who's in your circle of influence who you can go to. You know, and if you don't have, so there's a women's group on my network that you can join. I do plan to open a men's group, and I do plan to open parents groups, but we're just going to get the one group going first. So, one step at a time. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, so, look, it's all happening, but um, yes. So, uh, there's just one more question from Ange. Uh, what age do you speak uh, about it to your kids? And well, my, that's a really good answer, question. <laughs> my answer to that, as soon as they know how to how to understand you, because. Uh, Protective behaviours education needs to happen very young, probably age of three or four, where you, the child can identify their body parts, they can name specific parts of their body so that they can disclose effectively, right? The, the issue is a lot of people go, oh, I'm like, I don't want to scare my kids and all that sort of stuff, and I understand that because it's really tough to yeah, have that conversation. Like yeah. yeah. But if you don't have that conversation and a perpetrator takes advantage of your child, they then cannot disclose, right? And if you can't disclose to the police, then the police don't investigate it pretty much. That's how it kind of, I mean, they will, but it's if it's not a clear disclosure, <coughs> the, the police have a very difficult time in um, basically investigating the incident, okay? Because it's like if you said, and, and this is probably really not the best example, but, um, you know, if you give if you give the penis a nickname and call it a hockey stick, right? Mm -hmm. All right, or, or the bat, a bat, okay, sure. <laughs> a bat, or whatever. Um, but maybe the perpetrator calls it that, right? So, you know, let's call the kid Johnny, little Johnny. And, you know, a perpetrator commits a sexual offense against little Johnny, and he goes home and says, Mom, um, this fella's played with my bat today. You either miss a disclosure or you're not hearing it right for what it is. And when the child discloses and they're saying, well, what actually happened? Right? Because you can't lead a child. So <coughs> teaching the child the correct anatomical names of the body parts actually saves court. It saves issues with cross-examinations and those types of things. You know, it's getting a lot easier for children um, in courts now because they are obviously reviewing things, but failing to teach kids the correct body names and anatomical parts um, is setting them up if something does happen to fail. So just don't make it awkward, just have the conversation. So many resources out there that you can be looking at. Um, think you know, it's got heaps of stuff for online. Um, there's heaps of books out there now. Um, the Daniel Morcom Foundation's got great resources. Bravehearts has great resources. Um, so just check out their websites. Um, but yeah, do not not have, you need to have the conversation with kids because it, it takes away Must the. Admit, I haven't done that. Yeah, 
Well, it takes away the fear too, right? If you don't have a conversation about it, then all of a sudden something happens and you start freaking out, the child freaks out too. But if you make it part of your everyday language, then when there is a conversation to be had about it, they're not upset or scared or ashamed to talk about it, right? It's about normalising the conversations every day. I, mean, I could talk for hours on this particular topic. But, yeah. Food for thought, girl. Oh, <laughs> uh, Look, it, it needs to be coupled with, you know, good parental guidance, obviously. There needs to be a parent in there talking and, you know, having these conversations. And I don't think, I mean, it's probably too old, young for three or four or five to have a conversation about your story, but I believe children sure. should have an idea that you have a lived experience of some sort and have an age-appropriate conversation about your experience with the child you know, at, at, at an age where they can understand. And the reason for that is um, I just don't believe children, like if they've got something going on, they're trapped in something that should feel like that they're alone, right? Particularly okay. like I, mean, I, I went, I was silent for so many years and my mum had this story and I didn't know. I didn't know. And as soon as she told me, so I disclosed, she disclosed, and it's like, oh, my God, I've been hiding this secret for my whole life. And I and, and I, my abuse started when I was eight, right? And had I known, maybe things could have been different. I'm not blaming my mother at all. God, do because no. it's it, the only person whose fault this is 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 my fucked up uncle's fault, right? He's the only one to blame. But at the end of the day, we hide, hide our stories from our, the ones that we love because we're so afraid to hurt them. It's very I think true. We very hurt true. people more by hiding our secrets. I need to change that. We really so I do. I haven't done that yet. I haven't done that yet. So I, I will. I will have to do. She's nearly fourteen, so I'll have to do that soon. I think. I really encourage you to do that, and it doesn't have to be war and peace. It can be like something happened when I was twelve, and I didn't give consent. Yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, struggled because of these reasons, and you know, it doesn't have to be much, but it's just enough for the child because you can put. Kids are not stupid. We believe these kids don't actually. Like we pussyfoot around, we bubble wrap these kids, we don't talk to them about the things that we should be talking to them about because we think we're going to upset them or scare them. I guarantee you they're doing shit that you don't even want to know that they're doing. They're learning yeah. stuff from their kids. <laughs> you, know, yeah, you know, a lot ahead of where you think they are. So don't underestimate your kids is basically what I'm saying. You know, you're trying to protect yeah, them. Yeah, but you're protecting them by not talking to them is not protecting them. Fair play. So fair play. On board. Got it. Yeah. Real action. I say that with all the love in my heart, people. And I say that because I know from personal experience and I know from the 360 women in my women's support group at the moment and all of their stories, you know, these conversations need to happen. And I, I just really encourage you not to hide your secrets from the people that you love the most. And if they're not supportive people, if they're not people that are in your corner when you're cornered, then I'm not, not meant to be in the same room with you, right? At, yeah, at the end of the true. day, if they're not supportive, they're not your people. And Mel, that's a great point. I saw your comment. I don't even know how to reply to the comments, but anyway, I, I agree. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there's so much going on obviously um there's lots of chats and stuff like lots of questions and during during the live recordings because obviously for those who are listening to the podcast later 
Um, we record this show live and it gives the people opportunity to ask questions that we can answer in real time. So um, if you are hearing this on the podcast, um, that's what's going on. There's questions being answered. Um, and you can subscribe to my Patreon account where you will be able to get exclusive interviews. So Scotty and I have already done a pre-interview interview. Um, and there'll be live Q&As and those types of things, which you can only get through Patreon. So you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can see it below. Um, okay, cool. So we are done for the evening, guys. So I want to thank you all for being part of the audience. Um, obviously, there's been some tough things said tonight. So if you need any assistance whatsoever, you can go to my website, kellyhumphreys.com. And there is some numbers for support there, which you can reach out to. Uh, in the meantime, we'll see you again in a fortnight's time for another episode of Off the Cuff. Hey, thanks for having me, Kel. You're a legend. Thank you, Thank you Scotty. All righty. Cheers. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.